Well, if you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew 13, that's where we will be. Uh, While you do that, I will again open us with a word of prayer. Father, we uh, thank you that we have this time to look deeply uh, into your word. Again, to know your truths and to figure more about uh, the different people, uh, categories that you mentioned in the parable of the sower and the seed. As we have looked at the path, those who are unresponsive to the gospel, I pray that we would now gain a greater understanding of the rocky ground and what that means. And we just uh, thank you and praise you uh, for everything you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So as I mentioned, we're going to be in Matthew 13, looking at verses 20 through 21. Uh, The rocky ground. Uh, if you don't remember, we've been learning a lot about the parable of the sower and the seed. Initially, how Jesus says there will be those who hear, uh, and yet they do not hear. Uh, he says, those who can hear, let them hear. Uh, basically saying that there's more to these parables uh, than the outer surface. And if you know that truth, then uh, dig deeper into the truth uh, that is in these parables. And ultimately, there's going to be those who have closed ears, who do not want to hear the gospel. And they are the ones who hear without hearing. Um, and then we continued on in part two, which was looking at the path. Uh, those who are completely unresponsive to the gospel. Uh, they're the ones that you talk about, and they say, nope, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear the name of Jesus. I don't want you to talk about that. Uh, I don't want to hear anything about the word of God. And so um, we learned about them. But now we're going to be taking a look at rocky ground. And I have this illustration. There was a lady who was so affected by the sermon of a traveling preacher that at its conclusion she fainted. When the visiting preacher showed concern, he stepped up to help her, but one of the elders, taking him aside, whispered. She does this little trick every once in a while. In the interval between, she's, uh, in between spells, she falls back into her former life again. Um, and that really is a good illustration of those who are on rocky ground. Um, they seem to have a good reaction to the Gospels, what you would say. Um, she fainted. And yet, in between, she falls back into her old ways. When I was thinking about the rocky ground, um, I realized it's actually a very difficult study. Uh, A little bit easier than the path, although the paths are hard because they immediately reject the gospel, but at least you know where they stand with the gospel. When I was thinking about the rocky ground, I realized there was a lot of kids... Um, who I grew up with um, in my youth group. They were my closest of friends, and they seemed to know Scripture. Uh, They seemed to love Scripture, and then a lot of them, when they got to college, they said, no, I don't believe it, and I never have believed it, um, or some point later on. Um, And it's actually a lot of my friends. So I realized that, um, as we're talking about this, this is actually a kind of difficult subject to talk about, um, because much like me, you probably know friends and family who are in the same place. Uh, These are people we live with, um, we'll work with them in the church, and we'll see growth in them, um, but then they fall away. 
But we're ultimately doing this because we're going to come across these people in our lives or as we evangelize to them. And actually, when Jesus was talking about the parable of the sower and the seed, uh, it very may well have been that he was near a field where he was seeing these different kinds of grounds. But really, uh, he was looking at these different kinds of people. And he was telling his disciples, look, you're going to run across these kinds of people. You're going to run across the path who is going to be unresponsive to the gospel. And you're going to run across the rocky ground. And we're going to be taking a look at what that is. And so the first thing we're going to be learning from this, these verses, well, let's read them again so we have it fresh in our mind. Verse 20, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So he is the one who hears the word, and he receives it immediately. But the main point is that they grow hastily, quickly, very rapidly. They grow, they sprout. And so you look at them, you say, oh man, the growth, it's immediate, it's quick. They're really growing really quickly, they're really catching on. And they receive the word. That is something we have to point out here. Uh, It says here, verse 20, the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. This is not a false gospel that they are hearing. The rocky ground is hearing the truth. They are hearing the word of God being proclaimed. And in hearing that truth, they are also responding to it immediately, is what it says. They grow, and they grow rapidly. Um, But the thing is, they grow rapidly because they have no depth of soil. Um, That's what it says in verse 5, the accomplice to this, uh, when Jesus initially says it. We'll actually read that real quick. Matthew 13, 5 and 6, it says, Other seed fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. And so there's no depth of soil there. And so when you're thinking about the only place they can grow is up. And so they do it very fast. And so the difficulty is this, is they seem to respond to the gospel. They hear the word and they respond to it immediately. Um, This is actually a good thing. And one of the questions we could ask ourselves is, well, why would someone do that? Why would someone not actually respond to the true gospel after hearing the gospel? And so very briefly, I'll point out a few reasons. Uh, One of them would be, I think, probably one of the more common ones would be selfishness. Um, Jesus, right, they might be going through a difficult time, a difficult marriage, a difficult job. And someone preaches the gospel, and again, it is the true gospel, but to them, they just hear a quick fix to their life. They just hear, oh, Jesus is going to make everything better. I'll accept Jesus. That sounds good to me. So, they can see him as a quick fix to life's problems. Often, I think, the other reason is they don't count the cost. 
again, it kind of goes in line with the first one. They just think Jesus is going to make their life better. Right? Now they have a Savior. What's going to go wrong? And maybe it's an emotional response to it, and they aren't thinking it through. But the problem is, right, once they hit that test or that trial immediately, they're gone. They say, well, Jesus was supposed to make my life easy. That didn't happen. Maybe it's just excitement. Uh, I think we see this a lot. Um, they're, right, maybe at a concert or something is where I could most likely see this. And someone has a gospel presentation, and that's great, but the person's so excited that they don't even know what they're thinking. They're just excited about what's happening. And someone preaches the gospel, and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. So, and maybe they have a sigh of relief, they have exhilaration, and they have excitement about it, um, but no depth. Uh, sadly, some of these things are how we see a true conversion, right? We want to see people excited. It is a very exciting thing when someone comes to the knowledge of Christ, when someone becomes a believer. But ultimately, we have to judge them, judge them really by their fruit. And we'll see this in the good soil, so I won't hit on it too much. But if you turn to Matthew twelve thirty-three, it's just the next page over, Matthew twelve thirty-three. he says, Either make a tree good and its fruit good, or make a tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. And so ultimately, we have to remember that. A tree is known by its fruit. We often look at the excitement as the only proof we need. Um, But if someone's excited, and they're excited for years on end with no fruit, that might say something about their life, about their faith. So... We need to see fruit in the lives of believers. And we'll see that when we get to the good soil. But ultimately, we see that they received the word immediately, quickly. But they also received the word with joy. This is kind of difficult because when you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all of them specifically point out that they received the word with joy. And we need to point that out because joy can come with a false conversion. I think we often forget that when people respond or seem to. Um, Again, they are excited about the word. They seem to respond to it immediately. They have a lot of joy. They just have no roots. And so the thing is, what does it say they do? They... Verse uh, 21, I believe, it says, they endure, but endures for a while. thing is, they can be in the church for a long time. I've known people who endure. Like I said, my friends endured for quite a while. This can be fellow people, fellow members who work in the church. People have come to the church for a long time. It can be leaders I know of a leader in my church, past church. Uh, It can be your teachers. And so they can endure for a little while. Uh, That excitement, that joy that they initially have can continue for a long time. Um, But ultimately, again, no roots. But the thing I want to make sure we are clear on 
is that joy is an appropriate response to a conversion. Uh, if you witness to someone and they become a believer, you should have nothing else but joy. Um, that person should have nothing else but joy. Um, but there's a slight warning that just because they are joyful does not mean that it is a true conversion. And I think the danger is always looking back to that point in time. And actually, this is what most of the people I grew up with did. Well, I was saved at this very specific moment in time when I said these specific words, and I was happy then. But that time in itself did not save that person. It is what that person believes in that time in which saves them. And so they made a profession of faith, and they were happy about it, but they didn't believe any of it. I know a lot of people who say, well, why are you saved? Oh, I said these words a long time ago. Okay. What do you believe now? So, again, joy is an appropriate response. And if you look at Luke 15, 7, we won't turn there. But that is what the angels are doing in heaven. They're joyous over a sinner who repents. And so we need to also have a joy and remember that that is an appropriate response. And so they receive the word immediately. Uh, they receive the word with joy. Uh, and they also receive the word insincerely. Now I was trying to think of examples uh, in scripture of people who did not receive the word. The only word I could come up with was insincerely. Um, falsely. Uh, And kind of the immediate person you turn to, at least in my mind, was Judas. Uh, Because when you look at him, we have to remember, all we think about with Judas is his betrayal. That's like the first thing. You think Judas, you think betrayal. Bad guy, essentially. Uh, But we have to remember Judas was with Jesus most of his ministry. Um, And he was excited about what Jesus was doing, but ultimately we see that he didn't understand the true gospel of what Jesus was proclaiming. But I want to turn to Matthew 10, 1. Matthew 10, 1. Uh, this is important to see. Matthew 10, 1 says this, And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Uh, What a privilege this was for the disciples. Um, They're going out and they're going to cast out unclean spirits. Um, They're going to heal people. This was uh, definitely a joyous occasion for all those people being healed. It was miraculous. The disciples would have said this is miraculous. Uh, Everyone would have. Uh, Let's continue on reading verse 2. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. And we're going to continue on all the way down to verse 4, which says, continuing the list of Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now we have to remember that we would look at the disciples, all of them, at this point in time and say, wow, those guys are really growing. Those guys are, maybe we would say, spirit-filled. They are uh, steady, learning from Jesus himself. And you would look at Judas, and you would say he is growing in his faith. 
But ultimately, we know what happened, right? He was he betrayed Jesus. Um, but I only point that out um, because this was Judas, right, who was with Jesus for many years, learning right with Jesus, and at the end, he betrayed him. And so we shouldn't be too surprised when we see rocky ground, people who truly don't understand the gospel, even in our churches. We could also look at others' examples. We won't, but Demas was another one in 2 Timothy 4.10 who deserted Paul um, because he was in love with this world. And I'm sure that broke Paul's heart when he found that out. So again, these people, the rocky ground is difficult because we know them. It may have been someone you evangelized to and you thought they knew the truth and then one day they say, no, I never believed it. Ultimately, well, we see that they grow hastily, right? They receive the word immediately. They receive it with joy, ultimately insincerely, but they're on shallow ground. On shallow ground. We see that in verse 13, 21. Uh, Let's just reread this. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, he immediately falls away. Rocky ground. Now, this is not uh, like rocky as in there's a lot of little pebbles in the ground. Um, This is a solid rock. And so I was trying to figure out a way to illustrate this. Having a little difficulty, but I have this. This is just straight up, as you will see, a uh, glass full of dirt. Uh, Compacted dirt. No seed is going to get in this. This represents the path. uh, The one who is unresponsive to the gospel. And so, with that, we also have, now, we have the rocky ground. Now, actually... When you think of rocky ground, it really would have been like, think of one solid, flat piece of rock that no uh, seed can ever penetrate. Um, But this is my illustration, and I kind of like it, so deal with it. (laughs) So, but as you can see, right, there is a plant here. There is growth here. Um, But the growth can only grow up because there's only so much amount of dirt, right? There is rock there. It's not going to go into the rock. It has to go straight up. And so that's what the rocky ground is. And actually in Psalms 129, there's a similar idea where the psalm says um, that the there is grass on the house housetops which withers before it grows. And it's the same idea. There would have been um, dirt that would coagulate somewhere on the house, maybe in a corner because of the wind, and maybe a seed would fall in there, and it would grow a little bit, but it can never do any more than that because there was only a little bit amount of dirt. The sun would come up. It would take out all the moisture, and the plant would die. And so we have that same idea here with rocky ground. And so it is on shallow... Uh, so they're on rocky ground... And they encounter tribulation or persecution. When you read verse 6, it says the sun rose, right? That is the tribulation and the persecution. Uh, And I believe Luke says it takes out all the moisture that was in the plant. 
but it literally means to scorch, uh, to scorch or burn up is the idea. And you would say, well, what causes this? What causes these this um, persecution and tribulation? Well, it tells us actually in verse 21. It's important that we look at this. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word. It is on account of the word that happens, right? We can think of what John, uh, Jesus says in John 31.8, right? How do you know if you're my disciples? If you abide in my word is a mark of being a believer. And so it's important to know that these come about on account of the word. They are tests. They are trials, right? And when our faith is tested, there's really going to be only two things that happen. One thing is you're going to grow in your faith. You're going to see how God is working through this situation to help you grow. And that might be a difficult, right? It's not like you go through things and you're like, oh yeah, that's easy. My faith has grown, right? When we're in those tribulations, those persecutions, they are very difficult. But we come out of them saying, God was working through that and he was faithful to me. But that same test, when applied to the shallow ground, they say, no, I don't believe it anymore. We're going to turn to Colossians 1, just to support this idea. Colossians 1, 22 through 23. And it says, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and which I, Paul, became a minister to. Right? If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting of the hope. I don't think he could have said it any more clearly. So a believer, when they come to trials, yes, they might be difficult. When they come to persecution, yes, it might be difficult. They will stay steadfast and stable and they can do that because they have the holy spirit within them helping them guide them he's working through us but again ultimately they do the shallow ground does not have that root in them it's kind of like what first john says in 219 that they went out from us because it was plain that they were not from us So again, these can come from within or without of the church. Uh, tribulation, right? I think of maybe some internal struggle they have with the Word of God. They come across something they don't like, a passage, and they say, oh, I don't believe that. I can't believe that. And they leave. Or persecution, pressure from outside. You could say just life kicks in as a believer. Uh, Pressures from the outside world cause them to leave their faith. This could be loss of job, marital problems. Um, They argue with other believers. Um, Sickness, pressure from co-worker, uh, maybe employer. 
And when this happens, what do they do? They fall away. The fall away. So this is the word scandalizo. And you might recognize it a little bit because it's where we get the word scandalize. Is that they have been scandalized from the church. Uh, The scandalizo is uh, meaning to stumble or fall. And it's very interesting because look at this. We remember that they immediately grow, but also, I'm looking in Colossians still, so that's why that makes sense. Uh, They immediately grow, but also look at this. Because of tribulation or persecution arises on common word, immediately he falls away. Uh, He grew just as fast as he uh, fell away from the faith. I like what I was listening to a sermon by A.W. Tozer, and he says, If a man is too easily converted, then he can just as easily be unconverted. And we know that no one who is a true believer will ever be taken away from God's hand, but these are people who never truly knew the truth. And it's very interesting because you could look at those people and say, well, they had a hard time. Maybe if they didn't have that persecution, if they didn't have this happen in their life, if they didn't have that test or trial in their life, they would have stuck with the faith. So we need to address that a little bit. Because really, when you're thinking about it, it should only strengthen the believer. We have to turn to First Peter 5.10. It says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. In our suffering, God has called, who has called us, will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. As believers, again, We grow through our faith. And again, Peter is writing this uh, just about the time that Nero is uh, persecuting the Christians very heavily. So if anyone knew about this, it was Peter. He knew persecution was coming. And he's saying, this is going to strengthen you. I like what Trench wrote. He said, the troubles and afflictions which would have strengthened true faith caused merely the temporary faith to fail. And so, as sad as it is, it's actually a positive thing um, for the believer. They grow in their faith. We need that. We need growth. Without test or trials, think about it. How are you going to grow? You're not going to have it growing if everything is super easy for you. Usually it's when you go through a difficult time and you come out of that time and you say, God was working in that time, as hard as it was. So, but on the flip side, right? Then you know. You know where that person stands. If you don't know where they stand and you think, hey, they're a believer, they know the truth, then you're not going to witness to them, which is a bad thing. And so it's ultimately a good thing because once that person says that, you can say, well, let me tell you about Jesus. You already heard this once before, but you never truly 
knew what it meant to follow Jesus. So the persecution and tribulation should um, strengthen the believer. And we can go through a lot of persecution and tribulations. And that should only grow our faith. I actually want to share with you a story. This is from Voice of the Martyrs. Um, Because I think it puts it in a little bit of perspective. Uh, There's this woman, Bindi, who met her future husband in 2017. So this is very recent. Uh, Her husband uh, was an eager follower of Jesus. And she wanted to know about Jesus herself. And she eventually... Uh, came to know and love Jesus. She became a believer because of her husband. Uh, And then she eventually spilled the beans. She marries him. And it says, And although Bindi's parents held animist beliefs, they approved of their daughter's decision to follow Christ, as well as her desire to join Condi in marriage. That is the husband. Uh, And they eventually built a new house in a nearby village um, where they were the only Christians in that village. Soon, however, their Christian faith was caught, uh, their Christian faith caught the attention of the village leaders and some in the community started calling them names, eventually leading to threats of violence against the couple. The leaders eventually asked Conde to publicly renounce his Christian faith at the community meeting. Soon afterwards, radical Hindus soon visited Conde at his home, that is, the husband, pressuring him to participate in puja ceremony, honoring Hindu gods, and contribute to the various Hindu causes. When he refused, the the radicals threatened to kill him. In 2018, shortly after the birth of their first daughter, a group of young men barged into their home, threatening to verbally abuse them for their Christian faith. When Conde responded boldly, the men grabbed the bindi... uh, Bindi's mother, that is the girl, uh, who was there helping with the baby, took her into the nearby jungle and sexually assaulted her. Four of the men were later convicted and are currently in prison. You'd say, well, that's bad. Definitely is, but it gets worse. The family continued to receive threats for refusing to renounce their faith. And then on the evening of June 27, 2020, uh, the man got an anonymous phone call from a man threatening to kill him. Condi told his wife about the call. Then at 8 p.m. that evening, during the family regular prayer time, someone knocked loudly at the door. When Condé looked outside, he saw a group of armed men. If God is willing to take away my life, it is his will, Condé told Bindi. If God, wants me to, if God wants to save me, he will save me no matter what happens to me. You should not give up your faith in Jesus. In difficult times, you must continue to follow Jesus, our Lord, who is able to provide for you even if my life is taken away. Moments later, one of the men broke down the door and dragged Conde out of the house. Bindi followed the mob, begging them to spare Conde's life. When the, men, uh, when the men chased her away, she ran into a member's home church member's home, where she spent the night. The next morning, Condi's body was found on the side of the road leading to his church. His throat had been slashed. And so, there you have very extreme persecution. And that's not 
some far distant time away. This was in 2020. But I want you to hear her response. She says, I saw a deep love and commitment from Condé towards Jesus Christ. Condé's life example is helping me to keep following Jesus. And then later she says, uh, she has learned more about God's faithfulness and purposes since Gandhi's death. God has provided what I need, she said. God is teaching me to remain strong so that I can make others strong. And so you'd say, well, persecution if he didn't have that. True believers will endure a lot for Jesus' name, and they will come out stronger. She saw God's faithfulness through that time. So we ultimately can endure that because we know that our reward is not here. It's with God. And so we see that they grow hastily and yet they are on shallow ground. And on account of the word, a test or a trial comes and they fall away from the faith. Um, But that should be the very thing that strengthens them in their faith. I think I'm out of time. Really quickly, we're going to talk about avoiding uh, rocky ground in our pews. I know that, really, it's a spiritual thing. We can't have control over whether someone truly accepts Christ or not. But we can do a few things to guard against it. Uh, The very first thing is to count the cost. And that is to have them count the cost. I think we're too quickly sometimes to have people just accept Jesus, just accept Jesus. And we don't have them think about it what it is going to cost for them to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And really, if someone's too emotional, I always say just let them wait. Give them a moment. Let them think about it. Let them make a logical decision to follow Christ, not one that's based on emotion. And if at the end of that time they say, no, I don't actually believe it, that's good. You save someone from being rocky ground to being in the church and not knowing whether they're a believer or not. And you can continue to witness to that person. Um, but we're going to turn to, briefly, Luke fourteen twenty eight. Which says, For if which of you designing to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all will see he will see it and begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish, right? You could continue on reading that. But the idea is we need to count the costs. Christianity isn't just a quick fix to life problems. Often Christianity will bring more life problems, but you will grow through faith, through those problems. So count the cost. Um, and the other re- thing to do would be discipleship, which our church has been really big into lately for the past year. Um, trying to make disciples who make disciples. And I remember Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. That is what we are called to do. And so I actually want to put in a little plug here and say, if you haven't been part of our discipleship program and you want to be, Please let me or Amy or Pastor Bill, when he gets home, know. It's very important. And I wanted to point this out because we have a total of 44 people who have done it. And there's more people who are doing it at the moment. 
the oldest person is 72, and the youngest person is 19 who has done it. Uh, I would like to see a little bit younger, and even older for that matter. Um, But my point is, there's no one too old, there's no one too young. If you have that excuse, then you can throw that excuse away. Um, 21 men have done it, and 23 women have done it. Uh, Everyone should know and deepen their faith in Christ, and know how to disciple things. If any other reason, you can go through it, so then you can go and make disciples for, of someone else. And the last thing I want to point out is accountability. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another burdens, right? Uh, your Christian faith isn't one you should walk alone with. You should have people who will hold you accountable and say, you're going off the deep end. You need to come back. You need to follow the word of God. And so, that's how we can, in some ways, avoid. Count the cost, discipleship, and accountability. So in conclusion, remember the shallow ground. Remember that they're going to grow quickly. They're going to accept the word. They're going to do it with joy in their hearts. Um, But remember, we need to see fruit as well. And we can do our best to not deceive those who are on rocky ground. By having them count the cost, make sure they know what they're getting into. Disciple them. Maybe during that discipleship, it will be evident that they have a lot of fruit, that they are growing immensely. Or you'll look at them and say, they aren't understanding this. I don't know if they truly understand the gospel. And then finally, accountability. Uh, Everyone needs to be accountable. So with that, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we... Thank you for this time that we had to come together to learn more about the sower and the seed, uh, the rocky ground. Um, And we know that it's a difficult subject because there are a lot of people that uh, we know, their personal friends and family, um, who maybe had a shallow faith, as we would say, and have strayed away from the faith. And I just pray that uh, you would help us to know that so that we can better witness to those people to uh, proclaim your truth to them uh, when we see them. And now as we finish out this sermon, this study, and we come to the communion table, I pray that you would uh, give us a focus on your sacrifice for us, on your body and your blood. Uh, that was shed on the cross so that we might have forgiveness of sins, a true repentance. And I pray that if anyone who is here who doesn't know that they know you personally, that they would uh, talk to someone who does, that they would um, hastily seek you and have a true, lasting faith. We just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.